and it begins with looking up to a mountain. If you prefer to be looking down at your church Bible, it is on page 622. So Psalm 121 on page 622 of the church Bible. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Sam. Please do keep the uh, Bible open at that passage. Psalm 121, where does my help come from? This is the first in a series of summer songs, psalms which speak to us today. And uh, so I'm preaching today on one of the psalms and uh, we're having Nigel's preaching the next Sunday. And so it goes through the summer. I wonder where Psalms sit within the Bible. Well, if you look at the Hebrew Bible, that which we approximates what we call the Old Testament, and which um, Jews call the Tanakh, you'll notice that there are three consonants in the word Tanakh, T, N, and K, and the vowels are slipped in between. As you probably remember, Hebrew is a consonant language. The vowels are not there. You put them in, so you write the consonants. And these actually sum up the Bible. First, there's the law, the Torah. Secondly, there's the prophets, the Nevi'im. And the prophets are subdivided into the former prophets, which we would tend to think of as the early histories of, of prophetic people. Gideon, the judges, Joshua. Then there are the latter prophets. These are the writing prophets. And they're divided again into the major prophets, people like Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets, lots of small ones, Hosea, Amos, and Malachi. And the third part of the Hebrew Bible are the writings, the, the Ketuvim, including Psalms and Proverbs. Now, the law, the prophets, and the writings are the way the Jews saw Scripture. What is interesting is that third group is the group that's used for reflection, the writings, uh, wisdom, practical wisdom, and it, it is used for worship privately and corporately. And at the top of that list, we begin with the book of Psalms. And there's just a few words I'd like to just say by way of an introduction. The first is, is that in Hebrew, they're actually described as the book of praises. Psalms is, is an English word, which we derive from that. When Jesus was talking on the road to the, uh, the road back, uh, and then he met with the disciples in Luke 24, 
he actually uses the summary. Instead of saying um, the law of the prophets and he actually, the writings, he actually says the law of the prophets and the Psalms. The Psalms were so important for Jews in those days. Now, the really interesting thing about the Psalms, because they are, they are poetic, they are poetry, but it's not poetry as you know it. Middle Eastern poetry uses themes to shape the pattern of what's written, not sounds. We use, in, in Western literary culture, we use sounds to make poetry work. So we have meter, ding, 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 so many words, don't we, like that. And we have rhyme at the end of a line. And sometimes you're listening, will it rhyme or won't it rhyme? Well, Middle Eastern poetry doesn't do any of that. What it's interested in is taking a theme and presenting it in different ways and putting these different ways side by side so they mutually illuminate. And then that's what we see in the Psalms. So quite often you'll see something is called parallelism. Something is stated in the first half of the verse, and then it's stated again in a slightly different way in the second half. Well, those are the Psalms. They come from many contexts. 73 of them are ascribed to David. They were read, chanted, and sung. Now, that's the introduction to the book of Psalms. Any questions? <laughs> I, it was, it, thank you for your attention. Suddenly, everybody went, all oh, right. These are given so we might enter into the life of faith more fully. And so today, and then the preachers were invited to choose. So I'm doing this psalm, and then later on I'm doing another psalm, Psalm 150, the last one. This is Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? If you look at it again, I lift up my mountain, my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, there are one or two of us who might know this. The, this psalm is part of 15 psalms, which were called the Psalms of Ascent. These were used on a journey up to somewhere. And often, scholars don't quite know the detail, they think these are the psalms which were used by pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem for a major festival. And so you would memorize these, and as you walked along, you would be saying this to yourself, reciting to yourself, or perhaps chanting it, or even singing it. These psalms were as you looked forward to meeting the Lord. You're on your way to Jerusalem. And so Psalm 121 begins, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? How many people here began their Christian Bible study by uh, using the King James Version or the Authorised Version? Yeah, I know it dates you, that wasn't what I was after. Okay, about a third, perhaps a bit wrong. Well, can I just say, um, let's just spend a moment the King James Version didn't get it quite right. Sorry. Let me explain. I will lift my eyes up to the hills from whence cometh my help. The RSV in the 1946 uh, said, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. What's the difference between those two? One's a question, and the other, it's a statement, isn't it? It's this flows from that. 
Well, the phrase is, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, is there in the Hebrew, and from whence cometh my help, is there in the Hebrew. But from whence cometh my help, but con construed in two ways, either as a subsequent clause or as a separate question. And the AV, the King James Version, decided, for reasons I, I haven't discovered, um, that they were going to put it as a subsequent clause. So the phrase runs, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. And that implies what? My help comes from the hills. Yeah. The very next verse should have rung alarm bells because the psalmist goes on to say, my help comes from the Lord. So clearly in the second part of that, um, in verse 2, there is a contrast there. So the RSV corrected it. The Hebrew is actually a question. And then after that, the NIV, which we're here reading today, that has, has obviously has taken that up. And just so for those of you who like the message, which is a paraphrase, it's message is a, you might, Eugene Peterson used to go into on, to work on the train. And he thought for fun, he'd translate the Bible into colloquial American English, as he did it, to fill the time on the train. So he did it, and he showed some people, and they thought, hey, this is really great. And so eventually he did the whole Bible like it. So those of you who use the message, it's, it's not literal, it's not precise, but it has caught some of the flavor. So this is the way the message puts it. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No. So what is going on here? I think any pilgrim traveling through a land they didn't know well looks up at the hills and looks up the hills with anxiety. You don't know who's looking down on you. And you know that there are brigands about. And so the psalmist is saying, I look around up above me, and this makes me anxious. Where will my help come from if this goes wrong? Is what's in the mind of the psalmist. The anxious voice. And then the rest of the psalm continues with, my help comes from the Lord and spells it out. So in this psalm, we've got two voices speaking. The first voice looks around at circumstances, thinks, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Where will I get help? The second voice says, my help comes from the Lord. And I'd like to suggest that those two voices are in all of us. And what the psalmist is doing, the psalmist is talking to him or herself. The psalmist says, I look around in grief. What have I let myself in for? And then remembers from the voice of faith, actually, I'm trusting the one who is the Lord. And it's in that insight, I think this psalm really is a blessing. This is one of the most popular psalms. It's that insight which says we recognize the, the complexities, the things that make us anxious, but we also recognize we can trust somebody who is the Lord, the one who will be our helper. And I think sometimes we just need to do that a bit more often. It's almost, if you want to do metaphorically, it's almost like looking in the mirror and saying, get real. You know the Lord is the Lord. I will now trust the Lord. And you're speaking to yourself in the mirror. The one of you gets up in the morning, oh, Lord, it's one of those days, or I've got a job at the office or a decision to take, which is just really difficult. And I know there'll be complexities which will follow. 
How will I get through the day? Been there? Yeah. I know the Lord will be my helper. Well, then let's look. How does it flow? Just going through the psalm. My help comes from the voice. It comes from the Lord, the voice of faith. And if you look, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Who does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And just to trump the fact that these mountains instill fear or a little uncertainty in your life, I'm trusting in the Lord who made that mountain. Do you see? We go to the Creator. Who cares about mountains if the one who made them is in charge? So the psalmist says, I lift my house to the mountains. No, I look, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the one who is maker of heaven and earth. And then the psalmist goes on talking to him or herself, addressing themselves with the voice of faith, not the voice of anxiety. So the next, the Lord who keeps you never sleeps. You might think, okay, as long as I'm awake and keeping my wits about me, I'll get through this. But eventually I will have to rest somewhere. The Lord never sleeps. You will sleep, but he never sleeps. So you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, even when you sleep tonight, the Lord doesn't sleep. The Lord is looking after you when you are unable to look after yourself. And then he goes on. The Lord is your keeper, protector from the heat of the sun in the day and the light of the moon at night. Whatever might come, the Lord is the one who will keep you safe. The Lord, verse 5, watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And then finally, drawing these thoughts together, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So here's the psalmist walking along this road up to Jerusalem, a country he doesn't know, he's a pilgrim from somewhere else. He doesn't know what's around the corner. And he's reciting this. And you can imagine how just recalling the God he's trusting helps him as he's tackled whatever is before him. Do you see what he's saying? Verse 2. So the Lord is the helper, maker of heaven and earth. Verse 3, the one who watches over you. Verse 4, the one who's your shade. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. Verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and going. What the psalmist is doing is he's listing the truths he knows about God and saying these truths speak to me afresh as I rehearse them, say them over and over again. He's not saying, Lord, I love you. He's not. He's not saying, Lord, I'll pray, and if I pray, I hope you'll get us through. He's not, he's not saying, uh, it would be ever so nice, Lord, if you were with me. He's not. He's simply saying, the Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is. It's the indicative voice. It's a statement of truth. When I was um, a new Christian, I went off to, um, I felt the Lord was calling me to go and work, uh, in, um, first of all, in Thailand, and then... Uh, possibly in Europe, and it wound up in Africa, but that, that's the way it goes. Um, 
And I went to a college called All Nations where they prepare you as a Christian to go to places, different cultures, and they give, and we spent time looking at how do you keep going spiritually in a place where all your regular known methods of support are gone. You're in a different culture, uh, you don't know the language, they know English so they can make you welcome, but uh, underneath it's a different world. How, what, what will help you? Uh, and one, uh, and used to, we used to haul in these ancient missionaries who'd been, you know, 40 years in Sudan or somewhere. And they would say, you know, the secret of missionary life is here in four words. And everybody goes, go on, what is it? Well, one of these mission, or mission partners, they call them now, said, the secret of a healthy spiritual life is to grasp the character of the God you serve. There are all manner of practical things, you know. But actually, at the end of the day, we trust God because he's that kind of God. And if he's that kind of God, it's that kind of God we trust. So how much do we know of the character of our God? And I've found that's been true in tricky situations. And I can say, Lord, I don't know what's going next, but I know you. You are. And then you can call to mind what Scripture gives us, the pictures of what God is like. And we have a, be a benefit that the psalmist didn't. We see even more clearly in the stories of Jesus the character of God. There are some great things there. All of those were said. I sometimes understand uh, with sympathy uh, the Muslim who learn the 99 names of God. It's not simply just so they can say we know them. It's because if you look at the names of God in the Old Testament, it tells you a bit about his character. Is he trustworthy? Yes. Will he provide? Yes. Is he the God of loving kindness? Yes. Kesser. And so it goes on. And then when you look at the stories of Jesus, and you say, Lord, I, maybe I've just made a mess of my Christian life. And then Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, just go and don't sin again. And she goes, forgiven. That's what God is like. I think the best picture for me of all is the God of what, what's God like as a father. The father, well, what is God like as a father? The prodigal son story tells you. The father who runs down the road and embraces the son on his way back. The son who knows he's not worthy. It's very interesting. You look at the, the, the story, the parable of the prodigal son. Both the younger son and the older son, they both agree on one thing, that the younger son is not worthy and shouldn't be here. Did you notice? And it's the father said, rubbish, he should. We should. We mess up, and the father comes and he says, that's the fatherhood of God. And I don't look at my own father or your father, the stories of father, what you see on the telly. I look at the pictures of, fa of fatherhood, which Jesus has, told, has explained to us in the parables. So, the two voices are with us all. The anxious voice and the voice of faith. Let us study the scriptures, beginning with the stories of Jesus, and so increase our knowledge of the character of God. And do you, know, do you notice, it doesn't, when we're talking about God and rehearsing his character, it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't even involve us. Do you know, a, a lot of contemporary Christian conversation is about me. Me and my faith. 
It may be that I need more faith. Or, or, I mean, some of our contemporary songs, the, the more recent ones, they major on, Lord, I love you with all my heart. And you see, you, as you may have noticed, either a big spring harvest or soul survivor or wherever you might go to be refreshed, where the masses of Christians worshiping together, you see lots of young you know, people uh, in their 20s singing their hearts out, giving their all to the Lord. And, and I wonder how much they've connected that sense of the emotional sense of wanting to follow the Lord with a decision of the will to do it. It's very easy to be moved by a sense of worship, and it's, it's wonderful and refreshing. But actually, that's a lot of the songs about how much I love you. Lord, I'm at your feet, I'm at your feet again. Here's a bit more of me and all that. I caricature it. It isn't, faith doesn't rest on what we do. Faith means we trust the God who's like this. We know he's like this because scripture says it. And when we get um, in a muddle or confused, we look to the scriptural picture of God and we say, this is the God I trust and I'm going with this God. And it's now in his hands and not mine. And so Psalm 121 encouraged the pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem because they turned their mind to the God they were going to go and worship. Let us do the same. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the psalmist. Thank you for his wisdom that practically he looked to you. Father, as we look at the lives before us, we pray that you will help us to look to you in the midst of all that challenges, all that threatens, all that would distract. Holy Spirit, we pray you'll help us as we learn the scriptures, rehearse the scriptures to ourselves that your word may accomplish that which you purpose and not return empty. And thank you for these reliable pictures of what Yahweh, the saving God, is really like. And so we offer you ourselves in worship and with a fresh commitment to get to know you better. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jen's going to lead us.